You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. As always, I'm your host, Ben Wolf. Uh, we are going to learn from our guest today, uh, who has been both a uh, CEO and uh, outsourced sales manager, VP of sales, how to fix and grow your business the way a private equity investor would. Why do you deserve any less just because you don't happen to have been acquired yet? Uh, so I would ask everybody to help this content that we're sharing here be more available to themselves in the future, to others, to make it come up higher in search results by subscribing on whatever platform you were listening to on this and leaving a review. Uh, this is uh, whether Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the new Google, the new Google Podcasts uh, platform, whatever it happens to be. And uh, with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today, who is the principal and founder of Breakwater Partners LLC, where he uses his 30 plus years of sales and sales management experience to help companies as an outsourced VP of sales, a fractional sales manager. He is a licensed practitioner of the sales acceleration framework for outsourced sales leadership. He has years of, of leadership in the software, publishing and music industries, from startup to scale up to buyout and more, both on the CEO side and on the head of sales side. You can find out more about him on his LinkedIn profile. And with that, I give you Terry Dwyer. Welcome, Terry. Thanks, Ben. My pleasure, and I appreciate you coming on today. And I'd like to ask you, if you can, to give us a quick two-minute history, you know, maybe some stuff that people aren't going to find out on your LinkedIn profile, just you know, where did you come from? How did you get to uh, doing these interesting things that you're doing today as, you know, coming in as an outsourced uh, head of sales or as the companies that you've come in to uh, be a CEO, interim CEO? Uh, how, did you, how, did you, how did you get from where you came from to, to be doing what you're doing now? Well, I started my career in sales with IBM, mm -hmm. uh, selling uh, computers long before computers could be bought for $10,000. Um, they were much larger and much more expensive. Uh, selling into corporations that needed uh, help with the manufacturing systems or uh, accounting systems, production systems, inventory, a lot of those kinds of things. Wow. Um, spent about five years with them. Took a leave of absence to go back to school and then consulted with Deloitte um with, for a couple of years and then mm -hmm. went back into software with lotus the software company and i've been with technology companies uh, a large part of my career um most uh, through through the software years and then into technology publishing mm -hmm. uh, where we built a company took a company from about 50 million to about 500 million dollars in sales wow. and then uh, sold it and then began doing um, startup work. And eventually that path led into a couple of uh, forks, if you will, uh, working with firms that were either venture capital backed or uh, private equity mm -hmm. owned, uh, both uh, initially in sales and then in an operational capacity. I first uh, first role uh, with a private equity firm, Blackstone, was a management buyout that we did with Columbia House, which was a company that was about a billion dollars in sales and losing money, and I was chief operating officer. Wow. 
So with that, um, I continue to stay as an operator. Um, and through that, uh, moved through about five or six different companies that were owned by various financial firms. Mm -hmm. And how did, how did you get from that into like into the fractional VP of sales role that you're doing for people now? The last uh, piece that I did was uh, running a unit, a small division of a company that was private equity owned. And that unit, we tucked into the larger entity. My services were no longer needed. Uh, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next and felt as if at this stage of my career, this is a couple of years ago, um, that I really wanted to contribute to small and mid-sized businesses in a more con consulting, mentoring fashion. Mm -hmm. And uh, began looking at areas that I could do that and thought really the way I grew up in my career was as a salesperson, sales manager, and eventually sales executives mm -hmm. uh, positions, and um, understood and realized that an awful lot of small and mid-sized companies have a real challenge when it comes to sales, sales structure, strategy, um, leadership, all of the metrics that go into managing sales, and turning sales into more of a science than an art. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. oftentimes people will say sales is more of an art than a science, and it's really not. Right. Uh, I think it is. Uh, it is observable, measurable, repeatable, predictable, uh, if you have the right metrics and are using the right model. And so all of those things really beg for people with who have significant sales experience uh, and bring that to the game, and can help small to mid-sized companies who really may not have had that level of sales leadership on their staff. Right. While at the same time doing that, I recognize that many small and mid-sized companies may not need or want or be able to afford somebody full-time, my experience, but could benefit from my experience on a fractional basis, let's say a day a week or two days a week for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Extended meaning engagements anywhere from six months to a year something like that. And then typically at the end of that engagement, one of the responsibilities I have is to replace myself with a full-time sales leader after putting infrastructure in place, mm -hmm. uh, some of the things that will uh, lend to a much more successful sales environment, the metrics, the procedures and processes, et cetera. Right, and that's definitely something that I'm hoping we could talk about today, which is, you know, how, you know, which is how, and what it means for business owners to utilize this tool that is available to them. I mean, not only from yourself, but from yourself and from others um, of, of like a fractional sales manager and, you know, what the use case is for that, how it works, what the benefit is. And, and you've kind of laid that out now. I'm curious also, why, why do you find more enjoyment or attraction to working with these small and mid-sized businesses rather than some of the giant ones, it sounds like, and, you know, and really interesting ones on the bigger side that you've sure. worked for in the past? Well, um, they're two, two very different worlds. One is large company oftentimes has um, lots of people they can afford uh, to hire and retain experienced talent. They may they oftentimes have the ability to afford to grow and mentor from within. So somebody moving into the training program through the ranks, not unlike I did when I started at IBM, 
um, but then they can move them through the ranks into management and staff positions and increasing levels of responsibility. Knowing that firm, the firm they started in, perhaps as an individual contributor salesperson, and then into sales management, eventually sales leadership. They have the resources to do that. And in many cases, they have, quote unquote, their own way or their own method of doing it that has proven very successful. And many large companies do that. Um, the other end of the spectrum, companies that are typically much smaller, fraction of the size of a very large company, uh, could be a family-owned business, could be still run by the founder of the business, who's an entrepreneur himself or herself. Uh, and they have often uh, times really put in place the person who knows product development for any company, somebody who is maybe the CFO, they have certain criteria that they have, and they can go out and search for those people. Um, the same with either engineering or operations. People may have a designation with experience in ISO 9000, mm -hmm. Six Sigma, uh, et cetera. In the case of a CFO, maybe they're a CPA, maybe they have uh, background in public accounting, et cetera, and then eventually moved into the, into the corporate world. Right. In sales, it's less of a defined uh, basket of ingredients, if you will. And so many times they have evolved by having the founder do the selling initially, and then maybe somebody in their family, if it's a family-owned business or somebody that's a successor, right. or somebody from the outside that they hired, or maybe even somebody who was inside and was an individual contributor who they decided to promote the sales manager. Right. Many times that can work, but many times it doesn't. Somebody who is a good individual contributor does not necessarily make a great leader of people in that function. Right. So you end up resulting in a situation where you may move the individual contributor who's excellent at that job, your best salesperson, let's say, and you move them into sales management, you now accomplish the following. You fired your best salesperson. Right, right. You hired somebody who's not qualified uh, to be day one. The manager. Of the sales force. Exactly. Right. So that conundrum is more frequent than you might imagine, more, more prominent than you might imagine. Yeah, no, it's not surprising. Right. And so it sounds like there's, it sounds like there's a little bit of a combination then for with the bigger companies, maybe not having as much room to offer as big of a, of a, of a needle mover of value coming from the outside, you know, and combination of that at the same time, having a huge amount of value that these small and mid-sized businesses need. So it could be a lot more satisfying. It's, it's palpable how much difference there is in the two organizations. And if you really get excited about, as I do, about results, seeing people and companies be, for, be uh, successful, you'll see something much more quickly in a small to mid-sized company right. than you would in a much larger organization. And, and I do hope, and, and speaking of those things that you're seeing, I do hope that as we go, whether right now or as we go in the conversation, that I hope you, you will, you know, whatever you can with obviously privacy concerns, just if you could share some stories while we're talking, I think that would be a huge value for people to see in a more concrete way, uh, the kind of the kind of things that happen when people bring in a fractional sales leader. Um, I think that would be really interesting. Um, Good. And uh, so I, I hope you'll throw those in as often as you can. Sure. But I, sure. I'll start with my first. Did you have something? I said certainly. Okay. So I'll just start with the first question, though, or, you know, after that kind of context giving, 
which is that you know you've you you've been in a lot of companies that have brought in private equity or venture capital uh, or that you were brought in by companies who were bringing in venture capital or, or private sure. equity so you've really seen that scenario a lot and you know uh, from significant experience what kinds of changes that the investor is looking for so I guess my question is is let's say I'm uh, I, you know, a listener here is not, a, you know, is not been purchased by a private equity or investor, but why should they not grow and benefit from the same kind of improvements that the private equity investor would demand of them if they, you know, if they were bought out or invested in? And so I guess, you know, if you can suggest some of the, some of the things that business owners could be thinking about to, uh, to get for themselves the kind of value that they would that would be demanded of them or the kind of steps that would be demanded of them if they were being invested in? Sure. So um, kind of separating the two, because one's kind of what I would call a capitalization strategy, uh, which has its own implications. And then the other is just an operating strategy. And, uh, and which is which? Operate. Sorry. And we, uh, yeah, I apologize for my ignorance, but which is which? Uh, well, I'll, I'll explain that. Yeah, okay. I'll explain the outline. Uh, the second side is the operating strategy from which you leverage things like growth, et cetera. On the capital structure strategy they're, they're, uh, side, there may well be no reason to consider bringing in private equity. And if it's an existing company that with some traction, some heft, if you will, uh, it's more likely if they were to bring in a financial partner that it would be a private equity firm rather than venture capital. Mm -hmm. so venture capital working more with earlier stage companies, uh, either companies with idea, uh, right, where they seed investment or angel investment, or uh, pre-revenue, et cetera, and then into early days of revenue. The capitalization idea really comes from how you want to do, how do you want to fund, how do you want to leverage your operating strategy. The operating strategy is, if I'm a business um, leader, maybe I'm the owner or not, let's just call me a business leader, okay. CEO or president, maybe founder. CEO president, I believe that the market that I'm in has significant opportunity far beyond my current penetration of it. I believe as a goal, I want to establish capturing some larger percentage of that market, mm -hmm. share of that market, that I know operationally what it takes to do that. Certainly things like a customer acquisition strategy and retention strategy, operational excellence that serves that retention strategy. So we've got things like high retention, high net promoter score, those kinds of things. I may wake up one day and say, I don't have the capital structure to serve the kind of growth I want to achieve. Mm -hmm. Maybe beyond, I may have a working capital line with my bank, I may have a, a uh, financing structure with my bank, but I may well be beyond their capacity or willingness to fund my plans for growth. I may then look outside for another alternative source of funding, in which case, if it's private equity or venture capital, if it's private equity in this case, uh, I will, as the president, general manager, or CEO, be looking also to a another business partner, another owner, uh, a part share owner, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, they will buy in excess of 50% of the company. That investment will allow me to do the things I want, 
but it will put other decision makers at the boardroom table with me and where previously maybe it was just me right myself and a partner or myself and my family and what and what are some of the differences in the decision making that those other partners that have been brought in would be would be inducing would be inducing you as the business owner or CEO to make well, at sure. least those that are at least those that are that you consider good. Sure. Uh, well, and, and they're almost always good. Um, just making sure that you've got uh, a consistent view of what it's going to take to grow the business achieve the goals for the business and know that your financial partner is looking for a rate of return and they will be looking to set uh, milestones or uh, hurdles that you will need to achieve and there will be some you will get help from them in advisory and other ways to make sure you stay on track with that plan sometimes if things are going well, that could be a great relationship. But if things you know, hit a, a bump in the road, et cetera, uh, that's when you really test the relationship, the bond between right. the you know the operators and the financial partners. And what are some um, of the elements so, of those? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Some of the things they'll be looking for is for you typically to make sure you've uh, done the most you can to upgrade your management team. Many times that means bringing in somebody new, perhaps as a CFO, perhaps as a chief operating officer. Uh, perhaps as a chief revenue officer or VP of sales. And then with that, making sure that they're running to the plans that you and your partners, your financial partners, are building. Right. So, and so what are, what are some of the elements, I guess, of those kind of plans that they're going to want to see you making? And again, just having in mind where I'm coming from, that I'm thinking of, you know, that maybe nobody's coming into my company, the listener is saying, but what could I be doing to operate, you know, to increase the level of my own efficiency as if someone had come in and was in, in, in advising me from the outside um, as an investor or a controlling interest investor. Sure, they'll bring, they'll, bring, they'll, bring, they'll bring capital. They'll bring smart people. They'll bring people with experience, maybe not in your specific business, but typically in your industry or a an industry that's very closely related. They will have experience doing some of the things that you might have done or might be about to do in some cases, which they will say, do that, or in other cases, they'll say, don't do that. That would be a mistake. So you get right. the benefit of that. Um, so you could bring in, I mean, you. if you bring in a fractional leader, whether it's, a, whether it's a fractional COO who has a lot of experience, maybe in a related industry or a fractional sales manager, or CFO, I mean, you could bring in those people yourself. As CEO, CEO absolutely. Well, maybe, maybe CEO. I mean, you could do that too. It's just a little, maybe a little less common, but yeah, you could do that as a CEO. So I'm saying CFO. if I'm CEO of the company, right. independent of whether I'm working with private equity or not. Right. I'm just. All right. I could make those decisions on my own to bring in fractional executives. Those are really different discussions. That's correct. What do you mean really different discussions? Well, whether I am regardless of how uh, the business is capitalized and who owns it. As CEO, I may make the decision that I want for this position a fractional CFO, as an example. And I might go to companies like B2B CFO who provide that kind of service. Or I may need a fractional VP of sales, in which case I would approach Breakwater Partners or Sales Acceleration. Right. And I would talk to them. And so that really is independent of any decision that 
whether I fund it or not with a private equity. Yeah, no, exactly. I, yeah, I guess I'm just making the point that even if I'm not funded in that way, that I could still try to get myself the same benefits that I would get, or some of the same benefits I would sure. get from from being invested in. If if the if the private equity fund sending in a CFO or head of sales or CEO or some sort of outside advisor, um, I could think about I could think about doing some of those own some of those advisors into my own company, even though no one's making me or it's not part no, of some deal. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, a number of my clients are like that. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that's really interesting. And again, if you, if, you know, can you think of any stories or examples of like what's happened with recent clients? Obviously you could change the details if you need to for privacy, but uh, you know, in some of the small and mid-sized businesses that you've come into as head of sales and some of the scenarios you've seen, what they started with, what you did, what happened? Sure. Um, uh, typically what they start with or started with is, um, one of the owners or the owner was the person who, and, and, and in many cases the founder but mm -hmm. that owner may not necessarily be the founder maybe a second or third generation business mm -hmm. but oftentimes the owner or the founder uh has been the one uh selling the company services or product they take that on as that's what they love to do even i consider even if the person's background is engineering and they founded the company out of an engineering, uh, a love of engineering, right. case, they know that they're the ones who have to go out and tell, give the message to the prospective customer. So they're, in that sense, the chief revenue officer. They eventually find that what they need is somebody who's doing it full time, which it certainly implies 40 hours a week or more, um, as most of these professional positions do. And somebody who comes with that experience and in many cases the owner in that case who was the engineer in this example mm -hmm. would say that's definitely not something i do or have the expertise but they would then look to bring somebody in they might bring in somebody full-time they might bring somebody in from below that is their best salesperson so eventually uh the company gets big enough where they know we really need somebody full-time focused on sales building out our revenue model, building out our pipeline. Our right. Pipeline. So, right, right. And when you, when you, uh, when you go into these, you know, when you were, I don't know if it's, I don't know if the same thing applies for other people that are licensed with sales acceleration, but when you come into these companies, like how do you define exactly what you're going to be doing and what do people expect you to be doing? Or, typically, yeah, typically what will happen is I'll get a call. Somebody will have called me because they heard of me. Somebody they know, probably a friend or an associate, maybe in a different business across town or across the country. And they'll say, you know, then uh, it sounds like for your business, you ought to consider, you know, maybe you're sitting there having drinks or you're playing golf or whatever. You've, you've talked enough to your friend and he says, you know, I think you ought to talk to somebody like you got to talk to somebody at sales acceleration. Here's what they do, and you have kind of a kind of a good foggy idea about what sales acceleration does. Right. Okay, this guy Terry Dwyer, I'll call him. And you do, and we need. And I listen to understand what your level of pain is. Understand, I think I can be helpful because maybe the problem that you described to me is a symptom of something different. And you know, the good news is, with my experience. Uh, my age and my experience, 
I might be able to identify some things that don't have anything to do with sales, but which I've run across in a prior life. Sure. I share that with you. At the end of a conversation or two, I will typically say, look, I think I might be able to help, or I don't think I can help. I will part there if I think I can't. Right. Uh, I'll refer you to somebody else who I think can be uh, in a non-sales uh, If I think I can help, what I'll do is I'll suggest that we get together for two or three, maybe four sessions with you and your management team, and I will come in and do what I call a um, sales discovery on-site assessment. Mm -hmm. It'll be a battery of questions, meetings, listening to and observing what you do, how you do it, what you're not doing, uh, and make a lot of notes as you would expect somebody doing an assessment would. And then we'll meet at the end of three or four weeks and I'll tell you what I'm finding. And during the three or four weeks, I'll be confirming with you what I saw, heard, thought I heard. Now, are these three or four weeks after the engagement's begun, or this is before? This is just during the assessment. This is the first part. So it's an engagement. It's an assessment. The engagement just for the assessment, in other words. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, to un understand what work needs to be done. After the assessment, I will get with you and say, here's what I think you need. And it may cover, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 parts of the business. Those areas of uh, metrics infrastructure, systems and processes, and people. And it will cover things like, are you using the customer relationship management system? How are you using it? Are you using a spreadsheet to accomplish that? Nothing wrong with that, but many companies do that. Yeah. Uh, Excel is probably the most widely used customer relationship manager <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Most people who are really using a CRM would not use Excel. And so it's the graduation of that, the thinking that goes into that and yeah. why a CRM is, is, is helpful. Uh, and then from that, are you doing a pipeline? How do you measure your pipeline? Are you using it just to kind of monitor things through? Or are you actually using it and its predictive capabilities to say, you know, typically 15% of the clients to get to this prospects, get to this point, right. can be a customer and start helping produce some predictive capabilities Right. So then you can downstream help your operations VP or others prepare for what might be coming uh, right. in the front door in the next six months. Right. Those and, kinds and to know what sales, you know, and to know how many sales, you know, how many demos need to be done to get the level of clients that we need. How many, lead, how many demos have to be, to how many decisions do I need to get the X number of customers to get the X revenue, of, uh, X revenue target? How many leads do I need to drive that number of decisions? all of those things all the way back up to the beginning. Right. That's exactly right. And then those leads, how do they come to me? Do they come from LinkedIn? Do they come from outbound calling? Do they come from uh, door knocking or prospecting? Do they come right. from pay-per-click and search engine optimization, et cetera. Right. So during that assessment process, we're, we're measuring all of those things and then coming back at the end and saying, here's what I've, what I've seen, here are my observations, and this is in writing. These are the top areas that I think can generate the most gain for you mm -hmm. to either initially remove the pain or press on where your low-hanging fruit is to get the greatest, um, the greatest progress in the next six to 12 months. And then with that, I will say you can take a plan that I can build for you and you execute or take a plan that I will build for you and I will help you execute in a fractional 
basis until such time as we're comfortable that the plan is right, the execution is right, and then at which point I say, you need to understand my day of success is when you fire me or when I fire you. And right. that is when I've, I'm most successful, when we've done the things I said we would do, they're addressing the issues, and I bring in my replacement, and that is a full-time person. Right. Make sense? Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, and one, one last question, which is kind of addressing a point that I think is on people's minds when they think about fractional leadership of any kind, including head of sales. I actually had a conversation with, uh, with a client this week about a, pretty much this exact topic. So what do you say when people ask you, well, how could, you know, there's a whole sales team there. There's two, three, four, five, I don't know how many, you know, seven, eight people there in the sales team. How do you, on a, when you're not there with them all the time or when you're not even full-time, even virtually, how are, you, how are you managing and running the sales team for those six, nine, 12 months or whatever sure. until you get to the point yeah. where you can hire somebody full-time? It's, it's, it's a great question. Um, the best way to know uh, what makes customers happen, the best way to know what makes customers not happen, in other words, lose deals, um, is to be in the field. And in, when I say in the field, out with customers. And the way I do that is with the sales team. So I will do what I call ride-alongs uh, a day with the rep. And we'll is this in person or virtual? This is in, per in person. Okay. Now with Corona, COVID-19, it's a little tougher, but we'll do Zoom meetings and other things. But people will still meet and you'll get a face-to-face. -face. Certainly most people want to have at least one face-to-face -face before they commit. 10,000 or 100,000 or a million dollars to spend with a vendor, they're going to want to have a more comfort than just somebody they've seen in the Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, it is uh, through working with the reps day to day and doing ride-alongs for customer visits and then working with the rep to say, what's the customer's pain? What's their need? How are we defining our uniques uh, or unique value proposition? How do we compare against our competitors? What do we have to do in the area of pricing, requirements, you know, addressing requirements, all of the things that you would expect a good consultative selling process to include. So I become the sales coach and the sales leader with the sales reps. Uh, obviously, I can't go out with every rep every week if I'm only there a day. But depending on the size of the company, I should be able to get half a day or a day with each of the reps uh, throughout the course of a month or two. Mm -hmm. Getting a day or two, getting a half day or a day with salespeople is uh, usually you can you can learn an awful lot, and then yeah. you hear and see the objections that customers are throwing. You understand how we're handling those objections if we're being clear in our value proposition, and if we're articulating um, those things that will cause the customer to understand. I see how you solve my problem, and I see it in the light that. Uh, makes it desirable for me to do business with you. Right. No, yeah, it's very helpful. I mean, you know, just so, and, and as we conclude, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how, uh, you know, your experience with, uh, with bringing in private equity uh, funds and some venture capital situations, how people can bring in, uh, you know, people can actually, they don't have to wait for that scenario. They can get the benefit that they would be getting in that situation by bringing in greater expertise, bringing in fractional leaders of whatever flavor and variety 
uh, whether sales or, or marketing, finance, operations, et cetera, and get some of that knowledge about what they can and should be doing uh, that from people who've been there and done that and have real experience. Yeah, um, and, that's right. Uh, and then, you know, and then on the sales side, bringing in fractional sales leaders specifically, uh, get a better picture of what that looks like, the value it brings, how it solves the issues of, you know, that, that mistake of elevating your top salesperson that's not a good manager, losing your top salesperson and not having a good manager uh, or the CEO doing it and just not really being good at that because they're an engineer or they're yeah. good at something else, whatever. Absolutely, absolutely correct. So, you know, some of it's education. Uh, some of it is, um, you know, just relationship. And what, as you get to know the, the person who hires you, if it's a CEO or the president, the owner, um, build, begin to build trust. Uh, they're counting on you. You know, look, when they meet me, they know I'm not 25 years old. Uh, and you can, not that you can't trust 25 year old, but they haven't had 30 years of experience. Yeah. Uh, and um, most of the 30 years that sales acceleration advisors have, most of that 20 or 30 years of experience is good, uh, including those that were uh, full of mistakes. Uh, mm -hmm. because that's good learning right? Uh, and we bring that so we can accelerate yeah. customers of the clients learning. Yeah. You see, you see your, you see your new client, you know, making or wanting to make some of those same mistakes and exactly. uh, you, you know, you know where that road leads. Exactly. And you can say, Hey, let's not do that. Let me tell you why. Right. And exactly. you know, that's where you begin to add real value. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, mistakes are mistakes are, are huge value. Pointing, <laughs> telling people their mistakes, or they tell you their mistakes. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate that. Thank you for coming on the Thank show. You. Yeah, my pleasure, and 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 thanks for sharing this. And um, really appreciate you coming on, and we'll see everybody else on the other side as well. Thanks. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host Ben Wolf.